Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. everybody. Welcome to Book Dreams. This is the second in a series of what we're calling mini episodes, where one of us reads a book about a topic that we need help with, and then we talk about whether the book helped or not. So Julie chose our first topic, which we talked about in episode 65. That episode was called How to Ease Anxiety and Resist Chocolate Cake, Testing Strategies Proposed by Neuroscientist Judson Brewer. And I've chosen our second topic, which is about improving memory. So before we dive in, Julie, can I share an amazing fun fact that I initially thought had nothing to do with this episode, but in fact, I realized it relates directly to this episode. Of course, let's hear it. Okay, I'm so excited and I think you will love this. So this fun fact comes from my cousin, Claudia. Thank you very much, Claudia. And it's about brain injuries, which can cause memory loss. So there's the connection. Hmm. Okay, you ready? Ready. Have you ever wondered why woodpeckers don't get traumatic brain injuries from whacking their hard pointy beaks against hard tree trunks all day long? Well, I hadn't before, but I am now. Yeah, well, so now that I've said it, aren't you thinking like, huh? Yes. You know, if you think about the football players, you know, one bad whack and, you know, you've got problems yeah. for life, right? And these, these tiny little birds are doing it constantly. Well, okay, check this out. Woodpeckers, as you may or may not know, have incredibly long tongues. And what they do with those tongues is they, they peck holes in trees and then they insert their tongues into those holes and kind of, you know, swish the tongues around all the way up and down to find bugs, bring out the bugs and eat the bugs. And then when they're done, which is cool enough in, in my opinion, super cool. But then when they're done eating the bugs, their tongue goes back into their heads and wraps around their brains, cushioning their brains. So when they start pecking again, they're protected. <gasps> you mean while they peck, their brain is wrapped in tongue? Uh-huh. Oh my God, that is so Okay, cool. did I oversell this? I think I undersold it. Like, could anything really cool. be more fascinating than that? Nothing. Amazing. I love that. Yes. I love that. Okay. So back to the particular topic at hand, I want to know why you chose to read a book about memory and which book did you read? Okay. I read the book, Remember, The Science of Memory and the Art of Forgetting by Lisa Genova. And I chose that book because my memory sucks and it gets worse <laughs> as I get older, you know, word retrieval. It's astonishing to me the, the number of times a day I go, wait, wait, wait. it's, um, you know, the thing, uh, maps, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> and names are even worse. You know, I was never the kind of person who needed, I, I kept an appointment book, but I, I almost never needed to refer to it. I always remembered all my appointments. I do that all the time now. Like if I had a dollar for every time I said, I can't believe I forgot about this dentist appointment. I never do things like that. And, <laughs> you know, I walk into a room. I don't remember why I'm there. You know, all those things. And probably the most upsetting part to me is I read or hear interesting things all the time, like the woodpecker story, but, you know, important things, things in the news or something a personal friend has shared with me, something like that. And then the memories are just gone. Yeah. Does that happen to you? It really does. And the thing that you said about something that a friend has shared with me, that's particularly painful to me that someone might share something that's important to them 
and I don't think I forget it right away. Like if we were to talk about it, you know, within a matter of days or weeks, I think I would remember. But, you know, if they refer back to it, something they've mentioned a while ago, I, I sometimes I just don't remember that they've said it. And that feels really bad. Yeah. And sometimes the sensation isn't, oh, yeah, now I remember, but like gone. I don't remember hearing yeah. that. And not only do I feel disappointed in myself as a friend, it feels like I'm losing a sense of self. Mm-hmm. Part of who I am is my memories my own memories and also remembering things about the people I care about. So all of this has been very, very distressing to me. And that's why I wanted to read this book. Yes. Well, I won't go on and on about having the same problems, but I do. And I know a lot of folks do. So please tell us, we all need to know, what did you glean from the book? Well, just to be clear, the book does talk about things like dementia and Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, but that's not really the focus of this book. The focus of the book is more on the kinds of memory issues that you and I and many people, most people experience. And I learned a ton. She breaks down the different kinds of memory functions that we have, and then she explains how each one works. And then she explains the different ways that each of these kinds of memories degenerates over time. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. There are three main types of memory. One is semantic memory, which is for factual information, like the address of the house where you grew up. I bet you remember that. Yes. Which is? 2375 Kleinert Avenue. Exactly. 606 Lafayette Avenue. I say exactly, but you could be making that up. I have no idea. (laughs) But you said it with conviction. So I'm affirming that, yes, in fact, that was the house we grew up. You know, and we remember that the first president of the United States was George Washington, that kind of stuff. That's semantic memory. And then there's um, episodic memory, which is for things that have happened in your life. So for me, I've been hit by a car three times in my life. I remember all three. I can tell you the story. Oh, my I, God, Eve. I know that that's another episode. <laughs> I, I also, you know, I remember each of the births of my two children very vividly. I'm guessing you have many memories like that yourself. Yes. Yes. And then there's a third type of memory, which is kind of muscle memory for how to do things. Mm. I'll tell you an interesting story about that. We recently got a stick shift car. And the last time I drove a stick shift car was decades ago when Nick and I, Nick is my husband, when we started dating, he had a stick shift car. So this is 1988, 89, 90. And he taught me to drive a stick shift car at that time. And then eventually, you know, we got married, we had a different car, automatic cars. And so when he got the stick shift car just recently in the last year, I said, okay, well, you're going to have to teach me again because I know I learned 25 years ago, but I only did it for like a year or two. So why would I remember now? It's not like I did it for a long time. Well, two things happened. One was he and I started talking about it. He said, you know, you drove a stick shift car longer than you remember. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I had a stick shift car the whole time we were dating. We kept having stick shift cars after we got married. We didn't get our first automatic car until after our son was born, which means I actually drove a stick shift car for about a decade. Oh, But in my mind, I drove one for a year or two. Interesting. And then, of course, you probably know where this is headed, which is I get into the car and Nick's there to teach me. And I completely know. And it's like no time (laughs) has gone. I can absolutely drive a stick shift car. And what this gets at is that muscle memory is the most, um, not robusty, I'm looking for a word, um, resilient Mm -hmm. type of memory. Mm -hmm. Once you learn how to ride a bicycle, you never forget. Whereas episodic and semantic memory are much more vulnerable to decay. 
Mm. So very empowering to understand the different types of memory and how they work. And were there tips in the book that were helpful? Oh gosh, so many, so many tips. But let me start with the sentence that I highlighted and want to tape to my refrigerator, which is the following. These garden variety memory failures are normal outcomes of our brain's design. Huh, okay. All the different things we're talking about, the walking into a room, can't remember the word, don't really remember stories that we thought were important that we can no longer retrieve. What she says is... Your default brain activity is not attentive. Our brains are not wired to pay attention to every little thing. Our inattentive brain, it's zoned out, it's daydreaming, it's on autopilot. And if we want to remember something, the most important thing to begin with is to be aware and pay attention. Mm -hmm. The act of paying attention is critical. It's not the whole bucket. It's not the whole kit and caboodle. It's not like, oh, if you pay attention, you'll remember. But it's the first step. And if you skip that first step, we will not remember. Okay. So- For example, we don't pay attention to routine things like brushing your teeth. You probably do it around the same time every day. You do it around the same way. If I asked you to tell me about brushing your teeth this morning, could you tell me? The specifics of brushing my teeth this morning? This morning. Today's toothbrushing. Probably not. Yeah. And that can actually be a really good thing because imagine if we remembered every last thing. You know, how do you parse the clutter? So it's important to pay attention, but it's important to pay attention to the things we want to remember. Two things to keep in mind when it comes to attention, everything screen related is an attention stealer. Mm. We know this, right? Like you're reading a book and all of a sudden you get a text. Suddenly you're staring at your phone. You've now interrupted that attention making process. And then the other thing is aging makes attention harder to sustain just neurologically for all of us. It's not unique to you and me. Getting older and looking at screens makes all of this harder and harder to do. Yeah. So that's the first piece. And then once you've paid attention, the trick is to regularly retrieve that that information or that episode in order to convert it from short-term memory to long-term memory. So this is why, I don't know if this happens to you, but you go to a party and you're introduced to Bob and, and I very deliberately say, hi, Bob. It's so nice to meet you, Bob, because I'm trying to remember his name. And then two minutes later, I have no idea what this man's name is. Does that? <laughs> yes. Is that you as well? Yeah. <laughs> That's because your short-term memory only lasts like a minute or two. So unless you keep, while you're talking to Bob, reinforcing it's Bob, it's Bob, it's Bob, you're not going to remember his name is Bob three minutes later. The two lessons that I'm taking away so far are one, have name tags when having party, even Mm. though it's really dorky. And two, meditation, because that helps a daily practice of building attention span. It absolutely does. Getting enough sleep really helps. You know, as with everything else, exercise really, really, really helps. And writing it down is really helpful. Although she had this really interesting part in her book about writing things down. On the one hand, Lisa Genova, Oh, and I should have mentioned up front, she's a neuroscientist. Yes. She is a big advocate of journaling and writing things down as a way to preserve memory. But she also notes that we don't actually remember what happened. Because when we experience something, we bring our biases to it. So if you and I go for a walk together, we will remember that walk differently. If I journal about that walk and I leave out that while we were there, we saw three blue jays drinking from a puddle. 
when I go back to remember what happened, the Blue Jays aren't there anymore. That never happened. Whereas if you write it down, you will remember that. And we're not actually remembering our walk together. Each time we recall that day, we are remembering the last time we remembered it. Right. The most recent version. And also each time we recall that last version, we change it a little bit, you know, inevitably. Yeah. And that's how those Blue Jays become Cardinals or something like that. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually found all of this perversely reassuring because if my memories aren't reliable, like who cares if I lose a walk? (laughs) You know, like, tell me some other story about going on a walk. I'll remember that, even if it never actually (laughs) happened. Right. Right. There's a fantastic This American Life episode about this. A couple is telling a story and they interview the husband first and he tells this fascinating story about seeing Jackie O. Mm -hmm. And then they interview the wife and she tells the story, except as the husband has told it, he's the one who's had this incredible encounter. And as she tells it, he wasn't even there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that happens. I mean, I think we all have experiences where we say, Was I there or have you told me that story? And so I can imagine myself there. Right. One of the things that helps cement episodic memories, which are, again, the memories of things we've experienced, is emotion. So that's why we remember the birth of a child more vividly than we would remember our school field trip to the aquarium, you know, because one is much more meaningful. But even our most vivid memories will fade over time if we stop recalling them. And of course, the busier we are, the more distracted we are, the less time we have for reflection, and therefore the less we remember and the more memories we lose. Right. So that's another way in which screens are a problem. Yeah. And also just understanding that, you know, if you lead a very busy life, you're not going to remember as many of your experiences because you just have a lot more information and experience competing for that reflection time. Right. She talks a lot about how with semantic memory, and again, that's the factual memory, you have to intentionally study and practice retrieving that information. So if you remember back to when you'd study for tests in college, just rereading your notes is a lot less effective than quizzing yourself on the content of those notes. Yeah. So it's the retrieval that's really key. I think I have to go read this book right away. And listen and re-listen and quiz myself about this episode. (laughs) Well, there are a couple of other things that she talks about, which are important, which is that um, if there's something that you want to remember, you tag it with emotions and strangeness, right? Because anything that's out of the ordinary will stick in your mind. So I actually tried this recently. I had lunch with a friend of mine and she picked up the tab and I thought, okay, I need to remember that Marjan picked up the tab. So next time we have lunch, I'll pick up the tab. And I knew there was just no way I was ever going to remember who paid. So I pictured Marjan wearing a clown hat and told myself to remember Marjan with the clown hat, you know, sitting at the table in the restaurant. And somehow that was going to trigger that I have to pay the bill. And what would have made that even more memorable is if I had pictured Marjan naked wearing that clown hat, but that (laughs) felt sort of invasive. So I didn't do that. Marjan, not to worry. But I remember, I mean, you know, this was a month or two ago. I remember that the next time I see Marjan, I am paying for lunch because she was wearing that ridiculous clown hat. So it works. Yeah. Yeah, it works. And the other thing to do, if you want to remember something, like, for example, if you enjoyed the woodpecker story, tell it to other people. Every time you retell the story, you're reinforcing your memory of it. Right, 
Right. Right. So the older we get, the more we need these kinds of techniques. You know, when you were younger, you didn't need to jot it down. You didn't need to put a clown hat on it, but now you do. And it's normal. If you were to ask me what's been helpful about this book, I just feel enormously reassured learning how normal it is that I don't remember these things. Your brain is wired not to remember a lot of stuff. Well, I love this and I can't wait to read the book and I will remember to do so because I'm putting a clown hat on top of the book. And um, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear what you choose, what topic you choose next and what book, because I feel like this is going to be a great addition to my life anyway. I hope our listeners agree. Oh, I do too. And in the meantime, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. Go, come listen to book dreams with Julianne.